All right. Well, good morning. All right. You guys are active and, and alive, and it must be the second service. Okay. Good. I, uh, I want to say thank you so much to all those that work at the coffee bar. As I told the, the first service this morning, it blessed me because it helped me to not nod off, and that would be a very bad thing because I'm speaking. So, And then this service, I've stopped by and I've grabbed a few things to, to eat because I didn't want my stomach to interrupt everything going on and what's going on. So thank you, those that serve, Matt and the worship team, you guys each week faithfully. So many things going on. Um, Mike in the back working the, the sound booth and all the all of those that work the sound booth, the guys that never want to be noticed because that means they did their job right. Thank you. Uh, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, so many things, moving parts, pieces going on. Thank you to everyone that is involved in doing that. Go ahead and take your Bibles, Mark chapter 15. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for the opportunity to speak this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Josh, the associate pastor here, if you don't know who I am. If you're, you're visiting or a guest, please come back next week. Lord willing, Pastor Tim will be here and speaking. We'd love for you to, to hear him uh, to speak next week. Thank you for choosing this weekend because next weekend kicks off college football season. Florida State, Alabama play, and I may be tired next Sunday morning. And I, depending on the outcome of that game and how the Seminoles do, I may also be sick. So uh, thank you so much for the, for the opportunity to speak this morning. Uh, school's back in session. This is the last week of August. The last week kind of feels of summer, moving into Labor Day weekend next week. So a lot of transitions happening, college students back, kids back in school. You see all the boards up here for home group. Again, if you haven't filled out that form yet, whether online or with your, your, your post-it note, please do that. Home group's such a vital and important part of what we do here at Big Woods, and a vital, important part of your uh, relationship building with others, your, your growth uh, in, in the word, just so, so important. Can't emphasize that enough, so please make sure that you get involved with that. Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing really on that Passion Week, that last week uh, of Christ's life here before he finally went to the cross. And, and we've seen Jesus' triumphal entry as he rode into Jerusalem uh, on the colt of a donkey, and people were praising him and singing and welcoming, welcoming him as, as a Savior. Of course, as we know very quickly, that would change and turn, and we're going to see the culmination of that this morning. But before we get into that, let's go to uh, our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning, the day that you have given us, the opportunity uh, to serve you, the opportunity to worship you freely. Lord, uh, can we just lift up those around the world who can't do that? Uh, the problems that we face and the tr troubles and, and trials, some of them are great, but most of them are nowhere near uh, life-threatening or devastating to our personal family or personal economy, Lord. So we thank you so much for your blessing and allow us uh, to continue to have that blessing and to use it for your glory and honor. We lift up the, the Gideon's ministry, the work that they're doing with distributing your word, new life ministry starting back on campus this week, uh, home groups, just all the different things that are going on. May the time spent there and, and what is done there honor and glorify you and may lives be changed for eternity because of their work. Bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we are moving through this Passion Week. So we've seen Jesus come in. We saw the crowds uh, 
They're singing out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And we see some of the best of humanity. And we also see some of the worst of humanity. We saw a beautiful act of worship by the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with costly perfume and cleaned his feet with her hair. We saw the widow's offering, who to the accountant or to the bookkeeper would look at it and think this is no big deal. It's just barely significant uh, on the ledger. But who Jesus, who saw the heart and saw that this woman was literally giving everything, that God, I'm giving you everything. My existence depends on you. We saw the widow's offering. We saw Jesus sitting down with his disciples and explaining the new covenant. And we'll do that later today as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And he's sharing with them, this is my body, this is my blood, this is the new covenant. Something's about to happen significant that's going to change your life and is going to change the world. We've also seen some of the worst. We saw Peter. We saw his futile promise and his abject failure. He said, I will follow you even to death. And before the, 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 the rooster crowed, just at the questioning of a young girl, Peter left cursing and screaming and saying, I want nothing to do. I am not part of this group. I am not with that man. And of course, again, we saw him weeping and we saw his failure. We saw a kangaroo court, as is mentioned, a, a, tribe, a judicial tribunal or, or assembly that ignores recognized standards of law and justice and carries literal or no official standing and, and this kangaroo court came in and brought Jesus in and, and, and lined up false witnesses. And, and their witnesses, you know, their, their testimony couldn't even go back and forth with one another. It didn't make sense. And yet they got to the verdict eventually that they wanted, the verdict that was inevitable. They, were, they wanted to convict Jesus. And so they did that. So we see the worst of humanity. We, we saw Pilate last week, the coward who capitulated to the crowd, prioritizing his position over justice. Choosing the death of the innocent and perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. A man who he saw was innocent. Why, why are they doing this? This man's nothing, done nothing wrong. So much to the point that he brought out another one, Barabbas. A man who was clearly guilty. A man who was clearly a troublemaker. A man who clearly deserved the punishment that was coming his way. And the crowd says, no, we will take that one. Get rid of Jesus. We see the worst of humanity. And all of this, I believe, leads up to what I would call the darkest day in history. I enjoy reading a little bit about history. I enjoy learning from history. History is very beneficial to us. It's something, sadly, that we don't dig into much anymore. But I, I looked back and thought about some, some of the dark days in history. Uh, I mean, you immediately think, within our lifetime, you think of 9-11. In a matter of minutes, almost 3,000 people were killed. You think about World War II and the concentration camps where they discovered, discovered that over 11 million people were killed just there alone for, for no other reason other than they were you know, undesirables or uh, considered enemy of the state or, or just needed to be eliminated because someone didn't like who they were or the problems that they were dealing with. 11 million people. You think of... Cambodia and the Pol Pot regime, where in a space of four years, 20 million Cambodians were killed through starvation, execution, or unspeakable acts of torture. Some were killed simply because they were considered intellectual. 
An intellectual could be defined as something easily as they wore eyeglasses or had just a minimum amount of education. It was so bad that after almost four decades, that country still struggles uh, rebuilding its economy and still lives under the shadow of those atrocities. Or how about the Black Death, the bubonic plague, where through, through Europe it decimated populations, killing over 100 million people. These are all dark days of history. You look back and you think those are some of the most horrible events. But, but I, I submit to you that worse than that was the day when our Savior hung on a cross and bore our sins. You see, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He was the Son of God. But he placed himself on a cross. And he put himself between us and the wrath of God. And absorbed it completely. So that it was completely poured out and there is no wrath of God left for you and me. And that is the message that we have to share with others. He did this so that we could have a right relationship with him. Let's take a look at our text this morning. Mark chapter 15. We'll start in verse number 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when, the, when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, literally the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take or come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. 
And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So the first thing we see about this dark day, first we see that the Savior is mocked. The Savior mocked. In a matter of just over three years, Jesus had built quite a following. Whether it was a packed house where they had to tear off the tiles of the roof and lower someone in so that person can be healed. Or whether it was on a mountainside where thousands were gathered and Jesus literally fed them with a sackful lunch. People were drawn to Jesus. They were drawn. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? There was something about Jesus that captured and captivated their attention. And people wanted to be around him. And this was completely unacceptable to the religious leaders of the day. You see, they were self-appointed, and they were the ones that had, were des- had decided, this is what holiness looks like. This is what worship looks like. You have got to line up with me. They had set up an intricate man-made system, and Jesus was systematically pulling that apart, ex- letting them know that there was a different and better way to access the Father. Over and over, these people challenged him, and every time they were turned back. You see, when you read in the Bible and you see all these different times where where these people, these religious leaders are challenging Jesus, they're usually doing this in a public place. And the reason for this is, is they're wanting to bring Jesus down because they believe in bringing him down, they can bring themselves and reestablish themselves back up. They're just looking for one opportunity to trip him up, one opportunity for Jesus to lose his cool, or one opportunity for him to do something that they can basically hold over his head forever. And over and over and over again, you see them doing this, and it reaches a boiling point here uh, during this week. If you go and look in Matthew 21, verse 23, through 2246, you kind of see this last great challenge that they bring. In fact, it pulls three groups together that really didn't get along with one another at all. You've got the, the Pharisees there, and you have the Sadducees and the Herodians. And again, these guys would go back and forth with one another, really, really didn't like each other. But they all had one thing in common. They really didn't like Jesus. And they needed him out of the way so they could go back to their regular squabbles and deal with themselves and, and try to bring as many people to themselves as they could. When you, when you read this, uh, th- this passage, you see them come after him time after time after uh, time. And, and each time Jesus answers their question, and he basically shuts down their argument. And in fact, to the point in the, the last statement uh, of that passage here in Matthew, it says, And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. At this point, their minds were set. We cannot defeat him this way. So we're going to have to bring down Jesus. We're not going to just bring him down. We're not going to just kill him. We're not going to just, you know, try to push him out and make him an outcast. We have to publicly and ultimately humiliate him to eliminate anything that he has ever taught, eliminate his movement, and make him go away forever is, is their mindset behind what they're doing. And there was no better way in their mind to use the Roman government to do that. You see, they knew that just killing Jesus could potentially make him a martyr. It could draw people to him, draw people to his cause. We've all seen that happen. But they, they thought they, their mindset was we have to bring him down and humiliate him. And, and a Roman cross provided the perfect place for this to take place. No doubt they knew and understood, as it says in Deuteronomy, as it says in Galatians, that someone who died by way of hanging on a tree which, of course, that's what a cross is. It was a curse on them. It was a curse from the law. And no doubt that they felt like that if we can 
bring this about. We could bring this curse. That, that eliminates it. That gets rid of him. No one's going to go to him after this. Well, the Romans did not disappoint the Jews. And, and again, we went through the, the trial last week and how Pilate went back and forth, but eventually said, you know what? I'm going to appease this, this, this group of Jews. I'm going to, I'm going to appease them and, and get them out of way, get them out of my hair and get back on to my peaceful life, deal, not have to deal with them. So, so we see that the Romans didn't disappoint the Jews. Uh, and before Jesus would be led away to be crucified, they subjected him to brutal torture, mockery, and blasphemy, and then ultimately to crucifixion. We read in the, the first part of the passage there where they're, they're bowing before them. It says they were, they were spitting on him and mocking him and putting the purple cloak on him. Oh, here's, my, here's the king. You know, here, I mean, we're going to bow down to, to our King Jesus. This brutal mockery that our Savior went to. is As Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected of men. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. So our Savior was mocked. And then the Savior, secondly, was rejected. Not only was everything that happened at the crucifixion of Jesus designed to humiliate and bring shame, but it was also to send a very clear message. And that was you, your message, your beliefs, your followers, everything. We reject it. We want nothing. We want nothing to do with it. We want it eliminated. As I had mentioned earlier with Isaiah saying that he was despised and rejected. Verse 26 states that there was an inscription above Jesus on the cross, and it said, the king of the Jews. No doubt this inscription was ordered to put there by Pilate. He had, had felt like he was pushed into a corner with the Sanhedrin, with the Jewish leaders. So this is kind of his last shot back at them. Okay, you're going to push me into position? Then I'm going to tell the world that you have ha- you have basically pushed me into the corner of crucifying your king. They didn't like this. In fact, to the point that when Pilate was offering Barabbas or Jesus, he kind of mockingly told them, hey, what, what about your king you accept? And they said, no, we have no king but Caesar. Now, if you understand anything about kind of Jewish history and the things that were happening even back before the Roman Empire, into the Roman Empire, and then up into 70 A.D. when uh, Titus came through and destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem. There was always some kind of rumbling, some kind of pushback from, from the Jewish community. They did not like to be governed by any type of outside force, especially a Gentile outside force. And so, uh, again, there was constant bubbling up of pushback against Roman rule. So for them to come out and say publicly and loudly and proudly, we have no king but Caesar, was an incredible statement for this group of people. Because they were saying we would rather have Caesar than one of our own to rule over us. Here we see them rejecting Jesus' position because we know that he was the king, not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the universe. He's the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, as Scripture calls him. They were rejecting his position, but they also rejected his message. Mark tells us that those who passed by derided him. They were blaspheming him. 
wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Again, the mockery, the derision. The chief priest said to him, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Of course, we know it would have been no problem if, if Jesus meant that the temple, the literal temple, would be destroyed. It would be no problem for him to build it in three days. He spoke the universe and this world into existence. A, a building would be no problem for him. And, of course, we understand that ultimately what all these groups of people were doing, they were basically telling Jesus, we'll come to you, but we'll come to you on our terms. Here's how I will accept you. Amazing, they're asking him, go ahead, come down from the cross, do this miracle. If you'll just do this one thing, I'll believe. Well, what was going on around them? Supernatural events, miracles happening all around them, the sun being darkened for three hours. It says in Scripture here in Mark that at the, the, uh, the, the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. We just went through the solar eclipse a few days ago, and if you were through the, the path there of totality, you saw the pictures on the news where the sun was blocked by the moon, and then it would get dark for just a few moments. And, and if you study history and look back and think about all the different groups that saw that and what they thought that meant and, 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 and the different things behind that. But can you imagine noon? We go out to the, the baptism service today, and all of a sudden it gets dark. That'd throw everything for a loop, wouldn't it? And it, it, not just dark for a few minutes. We're like, oh, well, maybe there's an eclipse or whatever. But for three hours, this, this miracle where the sun went dark at the brightest moment of the day. Uh, there was a great earthquake. Uh, it even said that people were raised out of their graves and were walking around. Matthew records that, that saints, uh, that there's resurrection of dead saints occurred at the time of Jesus' death. The temple veil torn from top to bottom. That place that signified we could not come into the Lord's presence, into the Holy Father's presence, Holy God's presence, torn from top to bottom. Access was now made through Jesus Christ. There were miracles happening around them. They refused to see them. And no doubt, even if Jesus would have come down from the cross, they still would have rejected him. And imagine what that would have meant if Jesus would have come down from the cross. He had to fulfill his mission. And his mission was, as I mentioned earlier, to die for us, to absorb every ounce of God's wrath so that there was none left for you and me. So we see the Savior is mocked. We see the Savior is rejected. And then we see the Savior sacrificed. Mark records for us that Jesus was crucified the third hour, or what we would call nine o'clock in the morning. It was also the time of the morning sacrifice. I mentioned earlier the sixth hour, or at noon, the sun was darkened. And for three hours, this darkness covered uh, the cross until the ninth hour, the time of the evening sacrifice, when Jesus would finally breathe his last. We see the culmination of all that has happened. What would, what would happen now during these three dark hours would be heavier on the Savior and bring more pain and more agony than all the torture that Rome could throw at him, that all the blasphemy and all the, the derision and mocking could ever bring to him. 
Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That connection that he enjoyed with the father was broken. You can hear him in agony calling out. And it was this moment that brought the sweat drops of blood at Gethsemane. It was this moment that caused him to pray, Father, remove this cup from me. But we obviously thank God that he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here at the darkest moment of the darkest day, Mark tells us that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Matthew tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. John tells us Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Luke tells us Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus breathed his last. What's important to understand about this is it's not the Jews who killed Jesus and it wasn't the Romans who killed Jesus. Jesus put himself on that Christ. And as John Philip says, he sovereignly dismissed his spirit by a deliberate act of his will. And he did so with a ringing, triumphant shout. Now, I find it interesting and quite powerful that in the middle of this dark moment, we have two of the brightest moments that we'll ever see, a glimpse into what will be what God calls us to and what the gospel can do. Just at the edge of utter darkness, one of the thieves who had earlier hurled insults at the Savior, one who had lived a life that was worthy of the death that he was dying, calls out and begs for mercy. And, of course, we know that the Savior responded, This day you will be with me in paradise. Here at the darkest moment, a life was eternally changed. Then on the other side, Jesus breathes his last. And what does the centurion do? Centurion, no, no doubt, had seen multiple crucifixions, had seen multiple people die, but he had never seen someone die this way. There was Jesus taking care of his mother forgiving people around him. <laughs> Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What an amazing thing for someone to say uh, on a cross at that moment. This man was different. Jesus was insulted over and over again, yet he didn't answer. Uh, he responded with eternal kindness to a man who moments before was hurling curses and insults and blasphemy at him. No doubt he had never seen anyone act this way under the physical duress of the cross. And surely he had never seen anyone die the way that Jesus did. To proclaim it is finished and then dismiss his spirit. He was not struggling to stay alive. In the midst of the darkest moment, the light of the gospel penetrated this rugged centurion's heart as he exclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. This brings us to the time in this, this service where we'll, we'll celebrate communion. Just a few days earlier, Jesus was sitting with his disciples. And this that he just went through on the cross was what he was trying to show them. As he said, my body, like this bread, 
is going to be broken for you. And where he said, my blood, like this cup, is going to be completely and totally poured out for you. Imagine what it must have felt like as, say, a Peter or Mary, or some even say that Simon of Cyrene who carried his cross, they mention uh, Alexander and Rufus in Romans. There's, a, there's, there's someone that is mentioned there that, that they believe is connection to Simon. Imagine if Simon was a believer, the one who carried his cross. What that moment of, of holding that, that broken bread was, must have meant to them as they remembered, as they reflected on what they personally saw Jesus go through for them. You know, it's no doubt that Paul would write in the scathing rebuke of the Corinthians, reminding them of, of what this time of the Lord's Supper and this time of remembrance would mean. Now, as we move into this time of remembrance for our body, let's take a moment to examine ourselves. Let's tell God that we see the sin in our life and that we see it as he sees it and that we seek to repent of it, to confess it, and turn away from it. You know, see, there's, there's nothing about this that's mystical or magical or has some kind of special power that gives you salvation or helps you maintain your salvation. But it's simply an opportunity for us to kind of reset our minds and our hearts and to look back and realize what the Savior did for us. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, we ask you to partake along with us. If you haven't, we'd like to respectfully ask you to refrain. Please understand, again, there's nothing mystical to this. It's simply bread and juice. But it's the time that God has given us with a specific purpose. Remember our Savior. Remember his broken body. To remember that dark day. And to remember without that dark day, we wouldn't have the ability to know him and live the abundant life that he has called us to. At this time, I'd like to ask the elders to come forward, and they will prepare to serve the bread. While they serve, please take a moment and think about and reflect on our Savior.